TGIM Team RE. This is episode 323. I have to say that I feel way less isolated in a pandemic than I did when I was drinking. Like I was isolated to the max when I was drinking. So it has been so good to go through a pandemic sober. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Lauren. Lauren took her last drink on December 19th, 2018. She is from Canada and she is 37 years old. Before we get going, I wanted to give a special shout out to Jenny's Ice Cream for being one of our sponsors for our upcoming Bozeman retreat. At this point, you probably all know we love ice cream here at RE, and we make it a point to share ice cream every time we do a retreat. So when we found out that Jenny's wanted to be a part of that celebration with us in August, we were super excited. So thank you so much, Jenny's, for bringing people together one pint at a time. That's a pint of ice cream, not alcohol, by the way. All right, let's work on finding your better you this week. This past March... This article that came out on NPR caught my attention. The title of the article reads, Sharp, off-the-charts rise in alcoholic liver disease among young women. The article lives under the coronavirus crisis tab of the website. And I bring this up because it's sitting with other articles that are talking about surges in vaccinations, tracking the spread of COVID by state, and even a comic guide on how to survive the pandemic catered towards kids and teens. It's important and meaningful that conversations around alcohol are being put in this bucket, you know, this bucket of global crisis, of this pandemic. Because whether we choose to believe it or not, Alcohol plays an important role in society as we have to live through this collective grief together and as we continue to shift and morph into a society that will be healing from this for years to come. So the article was sharing a story of a 30-year-old woman named Jessica Duenas who was diagnosed with alcoholic hepatitis. She was productive. She was high-functioning. She was a very successful teacher that even won the Teacher of the Year Award in Kentucky in 2019. However, At night, when nobody was watching, she would drink nearly a liter of liquor every evening. The article explains some crazy stats, and I'm going to read a little bit here. It says, Doctors are seeing patients who have edged up to higher amounts of drinking in the last year, to a bottle of wine or five or six drinks a day, which increases the chances of liver disease severe enough to require hospitalization. And binge drinking, even if less frequent, can also be damaging. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has not yet compiled data on any overall increase in hospitalizations from alcoholic liver disease since the pandemic began. But, Mellinger says, and Mellinger is a doctor, in my conversations with my colleagues at other institutions, everybody is saying the same thing. It's astronomical and it's gone off the charts. The damage can be lethal. Survival rates for alcoholic hepatitis and cirrhosis vary, but can be as low as 10% in the most severe cases, research suggests. In the U.S., more than 44,000 people died of alcohol liver disease in 2019. 
And although liver disease still affects more men, younger women are driving the increase in deaths, a trend that began several years ago and is now supercharged by the pandemic, says Mellinger. We're seeing kids in their late 20s and early 30s with a disease that we previously thought was kind of exclusive to middle age, she says. This is scary, team. Because here, we aren't necessarily talking about addicts or people who are okay walking into an AA meeting saying, Hi, my name's Odette and I'm an alcoholic. We're not talking about that group of people. We're talking about everyone in between. We're talking about our friends, our kids, our sisters, our colleagues, our neighbors. We're talking about fully functioning people that are navigating their life as best as they can and possibly resorting to alcohol as a way to cope. And little by little, one glass of wine at a time, people cross the bridge from normal drinking to problematic drinking, resulting in severe health complications, as explained in this article. I made a video on our Instagram a few weeks ago where I shared that maybe your rock bottom isn't what you think rock bottoms are. Maybe it's not a car crash or a DUI. Maybe your rock bottom is reading this article. Or maybe listening to your gut when it's telling you that you may have to back off drinking. Maybe your rock bottom is a good day. You can live a double life for years where you try moderation rules every month. A life where everything looks great from the outside, but internally, the struggle is real and the thoughts around alcohol are very consuming. You can be there for years, pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling, or you can decide that you can pursue an alcohol-free life. Life is still hard over here, by the way, on the sober side, but at least it doesn't feel like I'm two different people anymore, like I'm living this double life. After reading articles like this, I feel so passionate about what we're doing here. I feel so passionate about sharing, about helping others, and I also feel very helpless. How can we do more, quicker? How can we make everyone see things differently? How can we prevent this? How can we support people struggling? How can we support families of people struggling? You know, I start thinking, how can we do more? How can we help more? Because things are happening so fast and people are getting affected by alcohol. I have to admit my codependency crazies kind of start kicking in and I, I have to slow down and I have to realize that all we can do is continue to be here for you and continue to walk the walk just casting a net for you when you're ready to, to make that leap. I'm going to have a link to the article in the show notes in case anyone wants to give it a full read. Thanks, Liz, for adding that. And thank you for doing our show notes. I really appreciate you. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Lauren, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Caferi almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun, 
For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. Lauren, welcome. How are you today? Hi, Odette. Um, I'm, I'm great. I'm a little bit nervous, but um, I've been excited to do this for a little while, so I'm glad we're finally doing it. Yes, I'm glad you reached out and that we got this on the books and... Nervous Mm -hmm. excitement is totally normal and it's a good sign. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So just lean into it. I'm happy you're here and let's get right to our questions. When was the last time you had a drink, Lauren? Uh, So my last drink was on December 19th, 2018. So my sobriety date is December 20th and I have been sober for 764 days as of today. How do you feel? I feel great. It's good to hear someone who has such a close date than mine. Mine is December 18th, yeah, 2018. True. So yeah, now, yes. I'll, now I'll know that we're close together. Yeah, and we are probably going through a lot of the same things at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I We get a lot of <laughs> listeners mention how they look to the show notes and they see mm-hmm. how long certain people have been sober. And then according to timelines that match theirs, that's who they'll listen to because it's like you almost oh. need to relate to someone who's going through the same thing. And the journey does change depending on which chapter you're in or how far away you are from the drink. So yeah, I I definitely agree with what you're saying of like going through the similar things, the same things. (laughs) Yeah, I'm lucky too, because I do have um, some friends where I live that I've met through 12 step groups. And so they're all right around in the same year as me. So we all kind of look to each other and lean on each other uh, because we're all going through similar stuff now. So it's neat for sure. Oh, I'm happy you have that community. And can you give Mm -hmm. listeners a little background, Lauren? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Uh, You know, what's so funny, Odette, is that when I first started listening to Recovery Elevator and Paul would ask, what do you do for fun? I remember going, if I'm ever asked, I'm going to be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely changed. Um, So I am from Ontario, Canada. I'm 37 years old. I just turned 37. I live with my partner and we don't have any kids together. He has two children that visit. So that's been an amazing addition into my life. Mm. And my extended family lives all around me as well. We have a cat and actually tomorrow we're adopting a dog. So that's also super exciting. Oh, that is super exciting. I know. And, And you know what? That's been something that when I was drinking, you know, I was always like, you know, when I get it together, I'm going to get a dog. So that's been great. <laughs> so what do I do? So I I work in the social work field. So right now I'm working as a housing worker for people that are homeless in my community, which has been hit really, really hard, especially due to COVID mm-hmm. because of so many things shutting down. So yeah, I love my job. I'm surrounded by a lot of addiction issues. So that's always kind of in the forefront. And what do I like to do for fun? So 
I am very into outside stuff. So I love going running and hiking. Now that we're getting a dog, I'm really excited about that. And then I don't know. I It's a lot of the stuff that I've always liked to do, but I was just so drunk all the time that I didn't really do it. So even stuff like reading, um, I started doing art and painting and I love to travel. I had to put off my last trip just due to the COVID pandemic, but I'm hoping to do that again once everything is opened up. So, yeah. Yeah. I love the description you shared about just doing the things that you liked doing before we just somehow run mm-hmm. out of time when we're wrapped up in our drinking. And, and and I love that because it is true. Sometimes we find new hobbies, but sometimes we also find just a reconnection to mm-hmm. what we liked before. Yeah, that's definitely been true for me. It's funny because I've always been a huge reader, like ever since I was really little. But when I was drinking, I would get I would read these books and I'd be so excited but every day I'd have to read the same pages over and over because I would black out and forget what I read. Mm. So it's been nice not to do that. <laughs> it's been nice to make progress on the books. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. That's good to hear. I'm really excited you're getting a dog. You guys are going to mm-hmm. really enjoy having a dog. I love my dog and I definitely know my relationship to him has improved <laughs> as I've gotten mm-hmm. sober just because I'm able to be there for him we have a doggy door and that was always my excuse like oh he can just go out the doggy door if he has to go to the bathroom you know and that's what I relied on but now I'm like no Mm -hmm. like it's different like we need to go out for a walk and it's 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 crazy you know even even their great supporters and partners while we're on this Mm -hmm. journey so I can't wait to hear what do you know what type of dog you're getting so it's a rescue. She's a rescue. Um, so she's coming from Lebanon. So she's actually on the plane right now. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm not too sure. She's a mix. So we're, we're interested to see how she adapts to Canada because it is tomorrow's supposed to be cold. There is snow. Yeah. So we'll see. But apparently she's very sweet. So we're very excited to meet her. You're going to have to send me a picture. Yes. Oh, there's so many coming in right now. I had to mute my uh, WhatsApp because the people (laughs) in Lebanon are just sending pictures and videos. So (laughs) that's awesome, Lauren. Well, I'm excited. And let us know a little bit about your history with drinking. Tell us your story. When Mm -hmm. did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your goals? And just walk us through it. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up, I had a very normal, loving childhood. Um, There was really nothing there that kind of catapulted me into my drinking career. I, I mean, I started drinking, I would say in high school, um, like so many people and just, you know, hanging out with my friends, having fun. One thing that always sticks out to me is, um, my last year of high school, kind of an acquaintance of mine, we were at a party and he said to me, I've never seen you outside of school sober. And it kind of hit me like a punch in the face. And I was like, well, that's stupid. What do, what do you mean? <laughs> but I really, really like drinking. And I think more than more than a lot of my friends. And I continued through university. I would say at the end of my uh, university career was when I really knew that I had a problem because I was happier staying at home and drinking by myself in my room than going out with other people and and being social because I wanted to drink the way that I wanted to without any judgment. Yeah, so 
after school was done, I moved to a big city. I didn't know anybody. I was very lonely um, and I was looking to make friends. And so alcohol really provided that social lubricant when I was out, but then also when I was at home, it helped me to kind of numb out. And it just got to be a serious problem very, very fast. Since you having the realization at the end of your career that you you probably did have a problem with alcohol, did you attempt to change aspects of your relationship with alcohol? Or was it just a little bit of self-awareness around it, but you didn't really change any behaviors yet? Yeah, that would be right. It was something that I I said, you know what, this is a problem, but I'm not going to deal with it yet. Yeah. But I'm probably going to have to deal with it at some point, but I'm too young. Mm-hmm. So not now. So yeah. And then when I was drinking more and more, you know, it was starting to affect all aspects of my life. Um, I was hung over all the time. I was drunk all the time. I had no money. Like it, it was just a disaster. So I, I did reach out to, there's a addiction and mental health hospital in Toronto and I was um, outpatient there for a long time. You know, by the end of my drinking, I'd been to three different rehabs. I'd been to the hospital multiple times. I'd been to the psych ward a couple of times just for short stays while I dried out. Um, so it was a pretty big, pretty big disaster for sure. Can I ask what wasn't working? You know, I always like like asking mm-hmm. people what worked. What do you think mm-hmm. wasn't clicking when you were going from program to program, relapse to relapse? Do you Have you found what just was still missing within those attempts? Yeah, it's actually been something that I've thought about um, all the time because once it clicked for me, which is when my sobriety date is, it all of a sudden seemed so simple. It was like the missing puzzle piece that I was like, oh, oh, that's what it was. And maybe it's hard to explain, but I'll try. I just, all of my failed attempts, I just didn't want to stop drinking. I wanted all of the negative stuff to stop. And I wanted to be, you know, the person that I knew that I could be, but I did not want to stop drinking. So, I mean, I I honestly, I think it was as simple as that. I still was using alcohol to manage my emotions, I think, too. So, you know, if I felt too lonely, if I felt sad, if I felt anxious, I still was going to, you know, alcohol is really bad in my life, but it's the only way I know how to cope. Did anything happen in your life where you made that decision and that switch kind of flipped over to the other side where you wanted not only for the negative consequences to go away, but also you were like, I guess I can't have my cake and eat it too. And I I, <laughs> I don't want to drink anymore. What happened? Yeah. So that would be on December 19th, 2018 which I also would consider, I mean, I had so many rock bottom moments. So that like I, they were awful, but that one would be the one where I stopped digging for sure. So I was, I had called in sick for my third day in a row at work and it was a job that was fairly new. I just gotten a new apartment, you know, on paper, everything seemed to be great, but I had binged for three days and I was so unwell. And all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me that, you know, I have three options at this point. I can keep going the way I'm going, and my life will never get better than this and will most likely get so much worse. Or I can try to end it all, which is I've had a few suicide attempts. I hope that's okay to say, but I've had a few. And I thought about it, and I I was like, I can't can't do that. I can't do that to my family. 
that's not the way that I want to leave things. So then the third option was I got to stop drinking because it's never going to get better. And so I just that day decided to give it a shot Mm. and not just a shot of like, you know, a week or a month. I really wondered what my life would look like if I just really gave sobriety an honest chance. And for some reason, just that decision, it made everything very simple. And I was able to stop on that day. I love that you said, I wondered what my life would look like. And Mm -hmm. I I love that approach because a lot of the times I think in early sobriety, with reason, we tend to just focus on how, you know, like, how Mm -hmm. do I stop? How do I get sober? How am I going to do this? How, how? And Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we need to deviate from that a little bit because it does get pretty overwhelming and just Mm -hmm. kind of shifting your lens and your perspective a little bit and focusing a little bit more on the possibilities and how your life could actually be different is a good, it's a good motivator in a way. And I think Mm -hmm. it really helps kind of gain some momentum with those smaller steps and handle the, just the scary feeling of the beginning because it's unknown territory and, and we don't know, I don't know how you felt after attempting multiple times, but I do feel like we need to sometimes get out of that fear state of how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Because we just kind of get Mm -hmm. stuck there. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and something that I, uh, share in my, my cafe RE group a lot is that it took me six years of trying, like honestly trying until it finally clicked. And so that's a big thing that I try to tell other people is like, if you want sobriety, but it's not working for you, just, just don't, don't give up. Um, because, I my I went to my first rehab in 2012 and it took me until 2018 to actually be able to stop drinking. And I think those 6 years I was always just very focused on a what other people thought of me. Mm. So so people, you know, in my everyday life and at work, you know, I don't want them to know and what are they going to think if I don't drink at a wedding and you know all those things. And then I was also really focused on what people I, you know, I've been in and out of 12 step programs as well. And so, you know, I wanted to do everything perfectly and I was really struggling, but I didn't tell anybody. And so it was really, really hard. And then when I've gotten sober uh, this time, it's really been about just, I want to see what kind of a life I could have and what kind of a person I could be. And honestly, what I'm capable of if I stop drinking seriously and embrace a life that's sober. And it's been amazing. The first month was very hard, not because I had any cravings, but just because it was all of the the, the wreckage of my past, as they would say, in 12 step. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was very, very anxious. I was trying to kind of put things back together and, but it was so worth it. I'm so glad that I did it. What worked for you that first month? I do think there's a lot going on on that first month between mm-hmm. what you're saying, dealing with your personal stuff and the body kind of confused at, well, so now what are we doing? We're not drinking. It's like you throw a curveball when you all of a sudden stop. So mm-hmm. what got you mm-hmm. through those first 30 days? I think it was just acceptance. 
Mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, I, I think about this all the time because I'm, it's, it's honestly a miracle. Like I thought I was not able to stop. I thought I could never be, be fixed. And I think it was just that, that really deep acceptance that, you know what, you, you can't, you can't drink, you can't do drugs, you can't drink, you can't, you can't ever make it just be a casual drink somewhere. You know, if you go out, you're never going to be able to have one glass of wine. Like it is just not possible for you. And I was always really resentful of that before, you know, let's say I was walking down the street on a summer day and there's people on patios. I was really angry and really resentful at them. How did you reconcile just, that feeling? Because I, I, I totally understand. I, I always think that what I initially were my thoughts in early recovery were, were I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. Like, and then I would look at people around me and, and be upset. And like, why? You know, why do, do I have to do this? And it was weird because I understood that within the struggle, there was something that I could gain. And I understood that you know, what everybody says, like, this is happening for a reason. And it, mm-hmm. what what doesn't kill you make you stronger, all those cliches. But at, at the same time, I was like, I would give it up any day just to be quote, unquote, normal. And it took me mm-hmm. a lot of time to kind of process those feelings. How was that for you? I mean, it was really for those six years that I struggled, it was it was insurmountable. Like I, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with those feelings. And that's why I kept relapsing mm-hmm. was that I just felt like, you know, this isn't fair and my life is too hard. And, you know, if I can't drink in public, I'll just do it in private. And yeah, again, it was just that feeling of deep acceptance that I just can't. And for some reason, the simplicity of that made it very easy this time to reconcile. So, I mean, I, I almost look at it as like, you know, if I had a severe peanut allergy and I, I just, you just can't because you will die you know, all of a sudden now it's really clear to me, like, I just can't, I might not die today, but I will die eventually if I keep drinking. I love that you found a, um, a recovery hack pretty early on, because, you know, <laughs> acceptance is one of those terms like surrender or let go. Yeah. It's one of those bigger terms that are hard mm-hmm. to not only comprehend, but to actually put into your story and just let go, you know, let go of that resistance that we add on ourselves to our journey. So I'm glad that 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 was with you from the beginning. Other than that, did you have like, did you go to meetings? Did you have any type of support during the the initial stages? Oh, yeah. So I've, I've been in uh, sort of 12 step programs on and off for a while. Um, But yes, I have been going to meetings. And I had a home group and everybody there is very, very supportive. So the the first meeting that I went to when I kind of had this big realization, I had a few people say, you seem different. You seem like maybe it might've clicked this time. And I was so cautiously optimistic, but it definitely felt like that. So I've always had a really, a good support group uh, through 12 step. And then my employer is also very supportive because I finally opened up to them about um, kind of struggles and what's going on for me now. And also my family, I've been super lucky because I know that a lot of people distance themselves or lose their families uh, with this, with alcoholism and addiction. And so I've, I've always had them in my corner, which has been, I don't know how I would have done it without them. I'm glad to hear that you had that support group. How was it sharing at work that you were struggling with this? I know that's a big, you know, there's a big stigma around those of us who struggle with alcohol and there's a lot of fear about 
employment opportunities, loss of employment. Can you walk us through how the experience was for you? Yeah, it actually it actually kind of came up in a bit of a it was a performance review actually. We mm-hmm. have a yearly performance review. Mm-hmm. And so I was there with with my two supervisors and they were asking about, you know, future future goals or where you'd like where I'd like to sort of specialize and I said, you know, I'd really like to get more into um, sort of the addiction support of this job because I also struggle with it. And I kind of went Bleh, like a little bit of word vomit, but I said, you know, I, I struggled and I, I've just celebrated, uh, a year. This is when I had just gotten my year medallion. And so they were both surprised, but so supportive. And it, it, my employer is great because we deal with a lot of addiction and mental health on a regular basis. It's very, very well received and understood, so it was it was great, and all my coworkers have been very supportive as well. And I think that for me, when when I finally had that acceptance, just like this is part of me, and I started talking about it a little bit more openly, you know, I was really amazed on how supportive the people were when I wasn't feeling so awkward about it. Okay, so I want to double click a little bit more on what you're saying. Of this is a part of me. I've been talking about this with some people lately, and sharing in our meetings and webinars about you know, the parts of us that make us feel a little bit icky and the parts of us that we, we don't like, because we all have them. And sometimes some of those parts bring a shame. I know for me, Mm -hmm. simply talking openly about my first time in treatment when I went to rehab for my bulimia, I just I couldn't talk about Mm -hmm. it for a long time. I couldn't Mm -hmm. I just felt so ashamed still. So when did you reconcile this acceptance with shame did you have any shame about what was going on or were you the moment you accepted it the shame kind of went away how was your experience with the shame attached feeling to struggling with alcohol it's that's such an interesting question because like certainly once I got past those you know kind of shaky few months where I'm like you know I'm pretty sure I can do this but I'm not totally sure but once I started feeling more solid, um, for me this time, I don't have a lot of shame in saying that I, that I have an addiction. Everybody in my life knows and has been supportive. So I've been really lucky that way. But it's just like, I just feel like this is a part of who I am in my story. And so at this point, I feel like I'm kind of owning it. And it's more like a superpower, honestly, because there's so many things that I can do now that I'm sober that I couldn't do before. And it's really been motivating but I do still have a lot of shame around things from the past. And, and that is something that has been and it continues to be difficult to work through. I definitely have a lot of, you know, bad dreams, a lot of drinking dreams, a lot of remembering stuff in the past and times where I just really didn't show up for other people or I was just an absolute disaster. And that is something that I'm, I think it's going to take a long time for me to let go of the, the shame of that. Yeah, thank you for your honest answer. And those drinking dreams are no joke. I mean, listeners, if you've had any, uh, we we talk about it in our community and we we ask, like, is this normal? Has anybody had drinking dreams? But they sometimes feel very real and they're scary. So thanks for sharing that you've had those. We should. So many. So, so many. many. And uh and, and I'll wake up and uh, I will, I think it was right around when I was getting a two-year medallion and I woke up going, well, I'm going to have to cancel because 
<laughs> and then I, it took me like a good 15 minutes to be like, oh, that didn't happen. But they are, I, I've always been a very vivid dreamer and, and they are no joke. They are very serious. <laughs> so yeah. And in sobriety, yeah. And sobriety comes deep sleep. Um, and, and yes. I, and I do feel like I also have more vivid dreams, but after we're able to shake it off, it's definitely a relief that it was just a dream. And I do want to say mm-hmm. I, what you shared in your answer resonates, I think, with me and with a lot of people of uh, reconciling with past actions, you know, and, and feeling ashamed and guilty for things we did in the past and how we showed up to places or how we showed up in relationships. And I think the the cool thing about this journey is that you're living in amends you're you get a Mm -hmm. chance and sometimes we don't if certain people aren't in our life anymore but we get the chance to repair and one of my close friends is a therapist and she always says that you know like we can't be perfect and we will make mistakes forever but Mm -hmm. the concept of repair is so underestimated you know the ability to go back uh maybe for previous actions or to just now when we aren't we all have flaws when when something happens the ability to repair the ability to show up and say hey listen I'm sorry you know I I don't remember being like that before and it's it's really neat that we get to be that way so let the guilt that you still have the residual guilt propel you into how different you want to be and how different you probably already are now you know Mm -hmm. it's been um it's been really interesting for sure I you know, I was really, really unwell for so long. And I'm only just now realizing the extent of the the trauma that I put my family through. Because like I said, they were always there to support me. Um, but I mean, there is some really scary stuff and really frustrating stuff that they had to experience because of my actions. And so you know, it's been amazing these last two years that I've been able to really show up for everything and, you know, help out with my, you know, my grandparents being a bit older and just being the the daughter that I, that I always wanted to be. But I'm also trying to leave them space because sometimes they have to say, you know, this is stuff that you did in the past. And so every time you call still, I wonder what's wrong mm. or if you're in the hospital or if you have to call the police or, you know, so they're still having that residual, um, sort of fear from my actions. So I'm working very hard to do the living amends and be a more, a, a more solid person to them for sure. Well, and that's also really neat that it sounds like you can have these conversations with them, right? The fact that they can tell you, oh, we're still, we still get scared sometimes. We still get fearful sometimes. That's just them sharing their vulnerability. And and that sounds like a great tool within your family. I, I mean, each family is different, but I think that a, a big game changer for any family is the ability and the comfort level to have those conversations. Some people just can't talk about the hard stuff. And and that's great. I mean, it sounds like they're supported, you're supported. So I'm 100% mm-hmm. sure they're super proud of you. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> they're, yeah, they, they've been they they also express that to me a lot. And, you know, so does my partner. He has seen, you know, when we were first dating, um, I had relapsed pretty badly. And so they they do express all the time how um how proud they are of me. At first it was difficult to hear when sometimes they would bring up things like, you know, you used to do this, this, and this, and it made me feel like this. And it was just so, so difficult for me to process. But, you know, it's part of what I have to do. 
um, to move forward. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it, even though it's really hard. Yeah, totally. And we were just, I was also just having another conversation this week where we were talking about change and how this journey inevitably changes us. And it takes time for people in our lives to adjust to us changing. And and you, you mentioned you're giving them space and you're, and you're allowing for that, that almost like transition of chapters, which you know, we want everything to be quick and like, no, they just they should trust me now. I'm good. And and I just feel like we're so used to things just happening, not only quickly, but also on our own timeline. And for me, this journey has taught me that people have other timelines and I have to learn to kind of put myself in their shoes and, and see what their perception is. And, and they have to adjust as well. You know, it's a process and mm-hmm. just sounds like you you've made that realization. And I think it's important or else we get resentful with our own family, you know, like, why don't they trust me? Why, you know, and I don't know, mm-hmm. I feel like you're handling it in a really mature way. S- sometimes. <laughs> 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 yeah, like, I mean, again, I look back on some of the stuff, like the really, really scary stuff that I that I put everybody through and not just my family, but my friends just, you know, even, even like therapists and stuff, like there are some really awful things. And so it's just, I feel like all I can do is keep being sober and working on myself. And then eventually that fear of, you know, when I make a phone call to my mom at, you know, on a Saturday, you know, I I know she still has that little fear. I mean, the rest of my family too, that little glimmer of fear that it's going to be a bad phone call. So I think the longer that I do this, the more that will dissipate. Yeah, totally. Do you still get cravings, Lauren? You know what's crazy is that no, um, I, I I can't explain it um, because again, before when I had that really hard six years, I mean, they were awful. Anytime I could have like a month or a couple of months of sobriety, I mean, the cravings were horrible every single day. Since this time, I would say maybe maybe five times in the last two and a bit years have I ever had a little craving. And that is usually after a difficult day at work when I'm tired. Mm. Um, but they have been, you know, pretty mild, which has been great. And so, I, uh, you know, I can go home. And I think the great thing about having this much time away from alcohol is that I'm now more in tune with my body. So, you know, when I was drinking, I was always tired a hundred percent and I was always hungover or drunk. And so now if I'm, if I'm craving, I can be like, okay, what do I need? And usually it's sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's been, that's been huge. Also, when I was drinking, I had the worst insomnia. So if I, I would either drink to blackout or I wouldn't sleep. So that's been a huge, amazing change for me is that I'm able to actually sleep now and take naps, which I never could do before. Sleep is so good in sobriety. Yes, it's the best. It's the best. I I honestly never thought that I would be able to just, you know, have a sleep on a random Saturday in the middle, in the afternoon. And every time I wake up from a nap, I'm like, it is a miracle. <laughs> It feels so good. Our body, I feel like our body knows that it can rest and it can trust us. It's really cool healing mm-hmm. relationship with our body. I, I love talking about that as well. And tell me about yep. the differences you've been able to pinpoint between year one and year two. What what was the same and what Ooh. kind of evolved? 
That's such a good question. Year one. Okay. So I would say that year one was a lot about making it to the first year. And I mean, every day I was just kind of amazed that I was still doing it, that I was getting, you know, six months, seven months, eight months. But it was really about that, that 365 days and making it there and getting that, you know, that, that solid year. So I was really focused on that. The second year has been, okay, so that's, you made it for the first year. So what now? Hmm. So now I feel like I'm, I'm solid in my sobriety. And so I'm working on making my life, you know, the best that I can. So what, what, what can I do to, you know, things that I've always wanted to do, things that I've put off, things that'll make me happy, things that'll, you know, enrich my mind and my body and all that stuff that I put on the back burner. So I'm also starting to reach out to other people that are in their early stages, kind of like females around my age are a little bit younger um, and, and helping them that way. So that's been really good because it, it really reminds me, it takes me back to that awful place that I was when I was first starting. And I never want to forget how difficult that was. I think it's so important to kind of keep focused on that because I, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. And I will tell you, we do forget. Uh, so it's great that mm-hmm. you have things that remind you because we do forget. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I have those thoughts still like, oh, what would happen? You know, and it's it's more mm-hmm. and more sporadic now. But I do feel like something like doing the podcast or something like connecting with people in early sobriety, it reminds me of how quickly I can end up there because as someone who had longer stints and then went back out to do field research and it got me right back to where I was so much quicker than the last time. I just have to remember that and I have to keep that consistent because the cravings do diminish with more time and and you do get more confident in your sobriety, but you do need to remind yourself of kind of what you're saying, just that acceptance of my life wouldn't be any mm-hmm. different if I went back now. It would be just the same as it was. You know, I, all of a sudden I can't not have a problem with the substance. It's just that acceptance of this is my life now. Yeah, definitely. I I have reached out to quite a few people that I know that have had a long time in sobriety and have gone back out just to sort of say, you know, what what was going on, what had happened and you know, I get the same kind of answer where it's just, you know, they kind of disconnect from recovery supports and feel like maybe it'll be different this time. And I can't picture myself changing, but I also know that the mind is so powerful and I am doing everything I can so that it just doesn't switch back to say like, you know what, it'll be better this time. Cause I know that it won't ever get better. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know what types of feelings you have now two years in when you see the same scenario that we were sharing earlier about seeing someone drink and having resentment resentment or feeling resentful. Because now we were talking about this in one of our meetings about how, you know, the FOMO piece of it, where when you look at someone, uh, I have kids and, and I sometimes see before COVID, I would see families of like the parents and the the kids that are clearly adults now and they're all having like a bottle of wine and a nice dinner and it looks like they're just making such a beautiful memory and maybe they are because I can't speak for themselves but I I feel like I don't feel resentful anymore because I just straight up know that 
what le- what looks appealing to me in that scenario isn't necessarily the wine, but it's more the connection between the people. And I know that if I was drinking, I would be completely disconnected and I would be actually missing the thing that I'm actually looking for. So I'm able to kind of see that now and it helps with my FOMO. Have you noticed that FOMO and resentment that you shared has diminished with time? A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think Honestly, I think it was a lot of that FOMO that kept me drinking because I just felt like I should be able to do this too. I don't know why I can't and I'm going to try one more time and Mm -hmm. it never worked. And so now that I really realize that I can't do that, you know, it is actually really cool because I feel like I am able to like there's less FOMO because I am participating more in all kinds of things, you know, stuff with friends, stuff with family when I was drinking, I mean, I was drinking alone all the time. So, I mean, oftentimes there would be family events and I would miss them because I was hungover. Or if it was like, you know, your example of like a family dinner and like before I had told my family I had a problem, you know, we would have big family dinners and we'd all get one glass of wine in the smallest wine glass. And I'd be so angry at that small (laughs) wine glass because be like, why would you even put this on the table? Because that's not enough. And then I would, you know, excuse myself and go find more alcohol in the back and hide it. And I mean, that's where I go if I'm drinking. So I definitely get to participate more with other people when I'm not. How have you been staying connected with people in recovery through the pandemic and just having a little bit of a change in lifestyle? How have you maintained staying connected? So the 12 step uh, program that I'm And so we, I mean, there's a lot of Zoom meetings and so we've been able to do them over Zoom. Mm -hmm. Not ideal, obviously, but I'm so glad that we have them because I can still keep connected to all my people. And, you know, I I talk to a lot of them on the phone as well. And then also Cafe RE, like I'm on my, my group. And so it's great because I just feel like even if I'm not commenting as much as I would like to, just seeing people in their stories and their journeys, it's been really, really good at keeping me connected that way. Thank goodness for Zoom. I know. I know. I feel like everything is on Zoom these days, but I have to say that I feel way less isolated in a pandemic than I did when I was drinking. Like I was isolated to the max when I was drinking. So it has been so good to go through a pandemic sober. Oh my gosh, everyone who's doing it, everyone who's attempting it, I really want to applaud the effort because Absolutely. I know at least yeah. from at least for me, it would be so much harder than it already is and I dare to say it's probably the case for anybody who's struggling with alcohol. You know, it would be so much harder. So if you're out there and struggling and still trying, keep trying. Yeah, I'm I'm super grateful that I I had the sobriety that I had before the pandemic, for sure, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Um, like just from square one, but I see a lot of people that are doing it, or they're attempting it. And I mean, it, even without a pandemic, it took me six years to actually get it. So I don't know, I just think everyone that's trying to be in recovery is so brave, because it is it is a hard journey, but it's so worth it. Yeah. And I like that you said that you like reminding people that it took you six years of trying because it is something that we need to talk about more. And every attempt has value in it. It's not just, oh, it didn't work and it's in vain. You know, it's never in vain. And and 
the goal is obviously abstaining completely and, you know, just sobriety forever. But hey, we I remember seeing a post recently where someone shared like, I haven't had continuous sobriety for a year, but I was sober for, say, 300 days of the year. And I was like, yes, like there are so many yeah. journeys like this one, you know, and, and I think that it's important to express that with each attempt we learn and we discover something about ourselves and and that we do have to keep trying um the way that you shared that it took years for it to click so thanks for sharing that i feel like more people need to hear it i just um one thing that my my uh, partner always says to me you know and and when i when we were first dating and and i was really struggling he would always say it's just more information it's just more information that you now know about yourself and the way that you react. And so if you want to try to do it a little bit differently next time, you'll have that input. And it was such a simple way of putting it, but it really made a lot of sense to me. So I look back at all my, you know, my relapses and um, my attempts at getting sober that didn't work. And, you know, I needed every single one of them to get here today. A hundred percent agree. Sounds like you have a great support in your partner as well. That's nice to hear. Yes. All right, Lauren. Well, we've reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Fabuloso. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> what is a light bulb moment that you've had during this journey? Honestly, it was just what I've said before. It's just acceptance. I can't ever drink. It will never get better. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, you guys love ice cream. Um, <laughs> is it? Oh, it's so terrible, too. My favorite ice cream flavor is rum and raisin. So. <laughs> rum and raisin. I've never even tried that. It's like literally it's so simulating the flavor of rum. Sim Isn't that terrible? But I just <laughs> like it. I just like it. I don't know. And I, I used to work in an ice cream store. So that was my favorite flavor. I don't know what that says about me, but. <laughs> hey, no judgment here. We all love ice cream. <laughs> Lauren, what has recovery made possible for you? Everything. In the, in the big book, they talk about the, the promises and, and I can say every one of them is, has come true. Just every, every, every single thing. I'm able to have a life that I always wondered if I could have, which has been amazing. You deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Don't give up and keep trying even when you think it's not working and it will never click um, because I felt... I mean, I know they always say that we all feel like we're special in some way. And I thought that I was the one person that was not fixable and that I, it would never work for me. But I kept trying and it, it did click. So that's what I would say. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to ditch the booze if line. Oh, I did prepare this one. It was the only one I prepared. <laughs> uh, so... You may have to ditch the booze if you buy a Magnum bottle of wine and drink it an hour after you've left your third rehab center. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy we got to chat and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was great. Very well, team. That's a wrap. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little challenge. It's funny because I've gotten different feedback from these challenges and this homework that I leave at the end of the episode. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But 
I'm going to still do it because I'm here to help you. I'm not here to say things that are always going to be comfortable to hear. Anyway, this particular challenge is something that we did in our cafeary chats. Well, one of our cafeary chats. And I know to many people, this type of exercise sounds silly, lame. You know, I probably get the eye roll, but it's truly something that we have to work on in our journey. So here we go. I want you to think about a positive affirmation you can say to yourself about yourself. Say it, say it out loud, jot it down on a post-it note, keep it close and make it your affirmation for the week. And just so you know, it doesn't have to be anything like, I'm fabulous, I'm amazing. You know, it could be something super simple. I'll share one of the affirmations that works for me and that I use really often. And it's the short sentence. I say to myself, everything in my life is okay. This one serves me because my default is to think that the other shoe is going to drop at some point. When things are going well, I doubt them. And I realize I sometimes get stuck in this fear-based place. And this affirmation really helps me. It helps me see things differently. So think about it. And what is something that you can benefit from saying to yourself and reading and repeating daily? This work takes practice. And it's exercises like this that can play a role in our healing. Little by little. Remember that you're not alone. And together is always better. Recovery Elevator. Every Monday, I am grateful for you. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Don't cover up the world with words and labels. 